0: Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat, to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started.
1: I'm Amy Rojek, Director of BDO's Center for Governance, and I'm so happy to have the chance to sit down with my colleague Jason Brooks, a Managing Director and BDO's Compensation Consulting Practice Leader, to get his thoughts on key planning considerations for Compensation Committee Directors as we rapidly approach the end of 2021 and enter 2022. Jason has nearly 15 years of experience providing executive compensation services to Board of Directors and senior management of both public and private entities. He leads BDO's global employer services, compensation consulting practice, and works with companies on all aspects of compensation programming, including short and long-term incentive programs, director compensation, compensation and performance peer groups, understanding competitive pay levels, IPO and SPAC readiness, and M&A transaction and retention planning. He works across industries and and has been published in World Data Work Journal. Jason and I, along with our colleague, Judy Canavan, and esteemed board of director and comp committee chair, Denise Devine, recently presented a webinar on the findings of BDO's annual compensation studies that examine trends and compensation and benefits of public company board members, CEOs, and CFOs across a variety of industries. You can catch that archive presentation on www.bdo.com. But today i want to welcome jason to bdo in the boardroom to hone in on where compensation committees should focus next so welcome jason
2: thank you amy great to be with you today
1: all right well we shared a lot of interesting thoughts in our webinar earlier in december about the trends we've been seeing in compensation of directors and suite professionals today i'm hoping we can share with our audience some of the more strategic activities that compensation committees in particular we'll want to be focused on given the continued dynamic environment that we find ourselves in. And of course, in anticipation perhaps of pending regulation, rulemaking and stakeholder expectations that will impact some of the compensation mix decisions as well as associated disclosures being contemplated by public entities. So please let us hear your thoughts today, Jason. Sounds good. All right, so let let me first start by maybe asking about some of the more specific strategies that may need updating given recent economic impacts?
2: Yeah. First, I, I think comp committees should really take an inventory of their company. What are their employee needs? What what are the, the maybe unique risks um, that impact their company relative to even their closest competitors? Because I think the reality is companies realized that where companies are headquartered, where their employees are, how they go to market the pandemic has impacted each company differently, and so starting with what are the unique needs and challenges of the of the specific company, and then the, you know the comp committee is really on the employees, and both the executives and really the broader employees. I know historically, comp committees really have been focusing on the executives. That's what the charter say they should focus on, and that's really been in their purview. But these last couple years, and it's starting to broaden below that, kind of you know one or two levels below the executive suite. Uh with the recent disclosures around human capital management, the the focus on ESG, the, the, even if it's not written to the charter yet, I think it's it's great if that the comp committees really start looking beyond that. And what what are their employee needs and making sure they're asking the same sort of strategy questions that they ask about the executives about the broader employee?
1: Now that that makes a lot of sense to me, and especially when you bring in some of the external pressures that companies are seeing around ESG and particularly human capital management. Maybe maybe one of the areas we can kind of talk to it's you know it's become I guess it's no longer an elephant in the room it's just it's just there it's it's the guy in the corner it's the gal in the corner it's whoever's in the corner but COVID so COVID seems to have made its place uh, known and it's not Seemingly ready to go away, and I know we we both been personally touched by COVID. So, would love to hear your thoughts on on how companies need to continue to consider COVID impacts in their compensation planning.
2: Yeah, no, it, it's a great question, Amy, and there's no easy answer. You know, on one hand, there's still a lot of uncertainty. No one knows when the next variant's going to hit, how it's going to impact. We're hearing just across the world talks of lockdowns or or increased mandates, and that obviously impacts how businesses can operate. And and it can be very difficult for for, um, businesses to plan ahead. That said, it's now a known risk. It's just like any other risk that companies face, whether it's supply chain issues, whether it's FX, whether it's interest rates, it's just out there. And now there's an expectation that companies need to plan ahead and bake this into their planning and you know we're recording this on december 16th just a week ago iss updated their faqs and maybe more will be known by the time our audience is listening to this but iss specifically said that the uncertainty of of covid no longer exists it's here it's known and now they expect companies to bake that into their incentive plans
1: no, that that makes a lot of sense, and yeah, I, I think from from that perspective, maybe share a little bit more about truly what that means, because you know, to the extent that uncertainty no no longer exists, I mean, that's a little dicey to say, because I think we still are experiencing a lot of issues with companies being able to estimate and forecast, and I think similarly, the, those types of challenges from an operational standpoint also impact how they're thinking about, how their leadership needs to be compensated, how their employees need to be compensated in, in an environment where you can't predict necessarily how, how well your company's gonna do or how poor they might end up doing for a whole variety of factors, not the least of which you know, is, is purchasing power by other folks that is gonna be impacted potentially by tax ramifications and then continued supply chain. I mean, the, the whole gamut. So, How do companies, you know, when they're considering or how compensation committees in particular, when they're considering the mix of compensation, how do they how do they wrestle with those things in real time?
2: Yeah, you know, so so the mix, you know, I'm not so sure there's really an impact on the mix. I I think the the stakeholders, the the proxy advisors, shareholders are going to expect similar to what we discussed on the webinar is that the majority of pay is going to be LTI. It's going to be focusing on, you know, shareholder value followed by the annual incentive and, and, you know, the fixed pay base salary is going to be the minority part of the pay. So I think the overall mix may not change, but I completely agree that when they think about goal setting or how are they going to incentivize, there's a lot of questions and a lot of unknowns. You know, the, the quote unquote easiest way is probably to go to a discretionary plan. You know, just take out the uncertainty and allow everyone to have an open and honest conversation at the end of the year and decide how things went. The problem is shareholders, proxy advisors generally do not like discretionary plans. They like when rules are set up front, when executives are held to specific standards, and then when they're objectively held to those standards at the end of the year. So if companies are considering or have gone to discretionary plans, I think there's gonna be a lot of increased pressure on the disclosure, disclosing as much information as possible, the reasons why discretion is used, all the factors that were considered and why the ultimate payouts were appropriate relative to the performance for the year. And for companies that don't wanna go the discretionary route, there's two other things that um, I would expect companies to discuss. One is just changing the performance ranges so lowering the minimums raising the maximums it's basically flattening the leverage curve and so um you know maybe you start to pay at a lower level of performance but you require a lot higher level of performance for maximum payouts that way you know small changes in performance in an uncertain environment do not have massive ch- changes in the associated payouts and again if companies are making changes if this is a new or different approach than has been in recent years there's going to be pressure on understanding why the change was made. And then the final one is goals. And you know, again, generally shareholders, proxy advisors expect goals to increase every year. So if revenue is growing, it should continue to grow. If earnings are growing, earnings should continue to grow. But maybe that's not appropriate for a company right now. Maybe holding steady or even a slight decline is should be considered great performance given all the dynamics in companies facing. And so, if companies are going to rethink how they're setting goals, that may be very appropriate. But again, there's going to be pressure on the goal, on the disclosure in the, the proxy. And again, in those FAQs I referenced earlier, this is a topic the ISS specifically has called out and said if you're going to set goals prior to the, you know, lower than the prior year's performance or prior year's goals, they're going to look at the narrative. They're willing to listen. But unless the the company tells their story and explains why it's appropriate they're just going to assume that you know companies should be back to business as normal and continue to be growing
1: yeah and i think what you just said there in terms of controlling the narrative i think i think that that's something that we we talk about across the board whether you know you're talking about financial performance whether you're talking about non-financial performance you know, you, you don't want these outside parties, whether it's a rating agent, whether it's a proxy advisor, whether it's an institutional investor. You don't want them to be making assumptions and telling your story publicly and making decisions, investment or otherwise, you know, board decisions, um, shareholder uh, proxy decisions, without understanding truly where the company is at. So I think the importance and the emphasis on disclosure can't be underemphasized in, in that regard. So, so maybe we we can back up a little bit, Jason. And I think you know we started talking about, and I love the strategies that you you outlined in terms of you know discretionary performance ranges and goal setting. You know what about um, some of the the risks in terms of talent pools and you know the changes in the employee expectations? So thinking about the inside of the organization and how that could be impactful?
2: Yeah, we, we've definitely seen a change in expectations during this time, Amy. And, you know, employees want more certainty. There's just so much uncertainty right now. Uh, and again, you know, whether they can go to the store or restaurant with a, without a mask, whether something's going to be closed. Um, so when it comes to work, whether or not they're going to be expected to go back to the office or not, what does the new work life look like? Um, Are they going to have to be vaccinated or not? Are they going to have to wear masks or not? These are questions that employees want to know. And so as employers think about and boards are thinking about, you know, what do our our employees need? How can we retain them? Everyone's talked about the great resignation. What should we be thinking about? Um, Everyone thinks about compensation, and, and that is important. And I would encourage companies to make sure that they continue to pay appropriate wages for the work and where their employees are based. But employees want to know more. And so I think, again, it goes back to the communication, transparency, you know, setting expectations with employees, knowing what's going to be expected of them going forward can go a long way. Undoubtedly, if a company makes a decision to go, let's take the two ends of the extremes, they're going to go 100% remote or 100% in the office. That's going to make some employees happy and some unhappy. But at least it takes the uncertainty out of it and employees know what's expected of them. And can choose when and where they they think it's appropriate to work. The other thing that there's been a lot of focus on is the, the non-compensation aspects, the benefits. You know, whether it's mental health, whether it's um, flexible time off, whether, um, you know, parental care, family care, child care, um, th- this notion that the one-size-fits-all to benefits plans doesn't necessarily work. Employee populations are very diverse. you know. People are at different uh, stages of their life, different familial statuses, um, have different needs. And so understanding what other benefits their employees need and also realizing that they, that they may need to offer new things. Um, they may, they, companies may be paying a lot for their benefits plans and think that they're offering a great and robust plan, but it may not actually be what their employees need or want right now. And so I'd encourage um, to have open conversations. I think um, having employee surveys is great. You know, doing the pulse surveys and and do them more than once a year. You know, things are changing fast right now. Get a, get a pulse of what your employees are thinking, what their needs are, but then react to it. Don't don't just do the survey to do the survey. Um, employees want to know that they're being heard, and if changes are coming, let them know. And if changes are not coming, let them know why.
1: No, I think that's a critical critical step for for companies to be taking, and especially for the board to be paying close attention to those types of surveys. I know on our on our program with the broader group of us, we talked about the evolving. Um, responsibilities of the compensation committee as well as the nomination and governance committees within the board and how it's so much more important to think about some of these human capital topics that are coming due and i think the information and the data that a pulse survey provides if it's done well mind you if it's if it's That's capturing right. a broad group and not just relying on you know a 10 percent response rate shall we say but really making sure you're getting a broad voice heard across the organization and you're asking good questions i think there's a lot of data that can be that can result in some good practices i know that we've seen cases where you know whether it's in our own firm or our clients the additional offering of benefits to help company i mean excuse me to help employees offset some of their challenges that they're experiencing whether it's giving them you know a, a certain amount or a stipend to help set up a home office or something to you know allow them to separate work and home life whether it's you know getting a piece of gym equipment or joining a you know a wellness group or whatever 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 it's it's taking those proactive steps and being creative but really making sure that whatever you're offering to those employees is going to resonate with them and i think you can get a lot of information with pulse surveys with surveyed groups in the firms to doing some outreach among various levels across the the organizations that you serve all of those are important but i think it's the you know it's it's the board level that needs to be tied in and dialed into those activities and understanding what all you know management is doing to ensure retention and attraction of of new talent so i think those are really valid points you made so so what else are you thinking about jason when when you're advising your clients heading into
2: 2022 you know I, I, we touched on it before. Um in the in the public space, there's a lot of discussion about ESG, and it's even creeping into the private companies wanting to know, you know, what they should be thinking about. And I think there's still a lot of uncertainty around ESG. There's a lot of talk about it, but there's still there's not a standard definition of what ESG is, what companies should be thinking about, what is good performance relative to bad performance. And also, you know, different shareholders may focus on different aspects of ESG. So it, it's, you, it may be very difficult for companies to come up with the one metric that solves all the issues. Um, I know we're sounding redundant, but it comes down to communication. You know, having open dialogue with the shareholders uh, or other stakeholders, even their employees and or vendors, um, and, and understand what their expectations are, and, and then baking that into the plan. You know there's a lot of talk about ESG and tying it to incentives. That may be very appropriate. It may not be appropriate. You know, the, the first thing I encourage every company to do is really think through what their ESG strategy is. Think through what their goals are. Are there measurable and concrete goals over the next one to three years? If so, let's have a conversation about whether to apply them to the incentive plan. If not, or if the ESG strategy is still being defined, it's probably too early to think through how to... Attach it to the incentive plan, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be part of the conversation, part of the um, the, the the individual performance goals of the executives, and how the com, the comp committee is thinking about their their employee population. Um, the other thing is just stepping back, and again, this is more for our public companies that are listening, is stepping back and looking at the ESG disclosure across all public filings. know one of the challenges right now is that there's a little bit everywhere that the new human capital management disclosure is in the 10k usually then you have the proxy statement which has the cdna some companies are having separate esg or sustainability reports and there may not be a clear cohesive esg narrative and so i would encourage boards to look at that look at all the disclosures out there and ensure that it is um in sync. It's aligned with what they think the strategy is and should be. And then, you know, the next layer is making sure that the way they're treating their employees, the 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 way they they design their their comp philosophies, the pay levels, all of that supports the broader ESG strategy, even if there's not a direct link in the incentive plans.
1: Now well said, well said. Any crystal ball from you in terms of, you know, some of the rulemaking that the SEC intends to come out with. You know looking more than likely in early twenty twenty two with respect to the human capital disclosures that are going to include things like turnover, um you know workforce diversity, board diversity all all of the things that are kind of hot in in you know the the media right now in terms of you know what companies should be disclosing. but anything that you see potentially to kind of bouncing back onto the comp committee with respect to those types of disclosures.
2: Definitely, I think on one hand, the more prescriptive the SEC gets, the easier it's gonna be for companies to put the disclosure out there. One of the big challenges with the rule is that they were principle-based. There were no set guidelines. So companies really had to wrestle with what they were gonna disclose, how much they were gonna disclose, what metrics they were gonna think about. And so to the extent it's forced on them, there's gonna be a set standard across all companies about what the metrics are and how the disclosure is. The problem with that is each company is unique. And so one data point in and of itself may look really bad to an outside party with no context, but it may make total sense for the business or it may be a lot better than it was in the past. So I think the challenging part is the companies to actually tell their story behind what these metrics end up being, because you know they can't hide once the numbers are out there, someone's going to come up with a story. And if the companies don't get ahead of it, and maybe even disclose more information than they otherwise would want to disclose, they may may really get put on the defensive. And I think the other challenge is, inherently, whenever you start to get the same data points across firms, someone's going to want to compare them. Someone's going to put stories out there and say you have to get better than someone else. And again, that may or may not be appropriate. And so I think that's going to be a new challenge: is how to respond, how to how to how to get ahead of the story, and then what happens if these comparisons start coming out that start shedding one company in a negative light? If the board or the executives don't think that's appropriate, because that's really hard to recover from, um, depending on kind of how who's doing the who's doing the comparison, who's doing the rating, and and how it's spun out there. It's not easy um, necessarily to, to fight back against that.
1: Yeah and and I'll just I'll just throw in a, a further complexity to the extent that the disclosures to your use your words are prescriptive in nature you know what, what comes with that is when you're forced to adhere to a to a standard or a regulation that requires specific data points and you're not currently collecting that data and you're not currently you know you may not have ready access to that data that creates a, a significant challenge whether it's in building the systems to do that Um, building the controls around those systems to make sure that whatever you're pulling is accurate and reflective of the actual situation. And then having those numbers kind of verified and, you know, have integrity to go behind those. And I think that's a lot of work that for some companies that could be a really daunting task for them if they're not already collecting and looking at this type of information. And to your point, there's also the opportunity for folks to kind of massage and cherry pick those numbers. so they have to be very clear in what those numbers should reflect. I mean, if you know just just thinking about turnover as an example, you know, is are you reflecting voluntary turnover or are you reflecting performance related turnover where someone was actually terminated? So so just the nomenclature alone can be confusing. So just want to you know be mindful of all of those types of issues that come up in addition to what you shared with us. So Jason, any any final thoughts on where companies are looking toward 2022 in compensation?
2: You know, nothing specific. Uh, again, you know, just we, we encourage comp committees, executives, to just, to think broadly. You know, you know, I, I think some companies get in the habit of looking at the agenda from before and just kind of following it. They they get into their their cadence. Um, look broadly. Think about topics that haven't been discussed in depth and think about those and carve out time to talk about that. You know, whether it's the, the broader employee base, whether it's the health and welfare approach, um, you know, the the, the the employee experience, the culture, the, the softer things about why an employee wants to come work at your company versus the company across the street. And again, this may or may not be embedded in the charter at this point, but it's really important right now. And, and employees want to know that that their executives and the board care about them and are thinking about them and are are helping them navigate again all the uncertainty that's out there. Um, the, the last someone wants to feel is uncertainty about their job, and so anything that the executives and the boards can do um, to eliminate that part of the uncertainty can go a long way in helping to train, uh, attract, and retain their talent.
1: Now that make, that makes a ton of sense, and I and I guess I'll leave with the final word in that. The compensation committee really needs to be working together with the other members of the board and all of these things because lots of these topics are impactful that maybe the audit committee is covering some, the nomination and governance committee is coming some, covering some. So really, boards need to be directly tied into the risks and opportunities they're facing to be reflective on, on how to reward and retain their professionals at, at all levels in the company. So just want to thank you for your time today, Jason, and thank our audience today. And stay tuned for more informative sessions and episodes from BDO in the boardroom. Thanks, Amy.
0: Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com/BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit BDO.com/BDO Knows Governance.